Listener Production. Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It's Thursday, September 23, and in today's briefing, the crazy story of Gabby Petito, the US influencer who was murdered on her road trip with her fiancé. We have a, a couple of eyewitness accounts, and now we have a 911 uh, recording where eyewitnesses saw Brian strike Gabby and also saw him grab her by the face and sort of push her against the van. Yeah, this story has grabbed the world's attention, partly because there was so much footage of their trip because they're influencers and they were posting all about it. And then suddenly Brian turns up at home without her and then he disappears. And then yesterday, the remains found in Wyoming uh, were found to be Gabby Petito's and her death was ruled homicide. So massive news in the last 24 hours. We're going to explain the whole bizarre, tragic story in the second half of this episode. It's a wild one, isn't it, Antoinette? Sure is. And it just goes to show that don't believe everything you see on social Mm. media because one day, picture-perfect travelling couple, and I'm sure there were some hashtag couple goals under their photos, um, and now uh, some serious question marks. Oh, massively, yeah. We'll hit that later on. First, here are the big news stories of today. Victorians can expect more aftershocks today after the state was rocked yesterday by its largest ever earthquake. It's all just kind of a settling down. It's the same idea that, you know, pebble in the pond. When it first drops in, there's a big splash and then there's smaller and smaller and smaller ones. So these aftershocks are just mild, very small readjustments of the crust. That's University of New South Wales professor Martin Van Cranendonk. So the magnitude 5.9 quake struck at 9.15am yesterday morning and it centred near the town of Mansfield, which is near the Alpine area. And the crazy thing about it, the tremors were felt right up into New South Wales, even in Sydney. It's a bit of a strange feeling when you're in the middle of swapping trailers when all the trucks around you start shaking. Basically, the whole house shook and you could feel the vibration under the ground of the house. It was full on. And I just felt the rumbling and then, ooh, and it just kept going. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is an earthquake. And that's callers to local radio stations yesterday. And my sister who lives in Melbourne was mm. um, actually at a friend's house helping her care for her newborn and all the bookshelves fell and they ran and grabbed the children. They were so frightened. Um, So it's just madness. Um, And so, yeah, there were some buildings that were damaged in Melbourne, but thankfully no one was injured. And, oh, I just, my heart absolutely goes out for Victoria and, um, you know, specifically Melbourne. And today is the day that Melbourne becomes number one in the world um, in terms of having spent the most days in lockdown. Unbelievable, isn't it? They're just setting new records that nobody wants to hit. Yesterday was the largest earthquake on record. Now they are the longest city in lockdown. So I, I just absolutely feel for our, um, you know, our Victorian friends. Yeah, well, yesterday was an all-round shocker for Victoria. As you say, along with the earthquake, there were 628 new COVID cases. So that's the highest number in this latest outbreak. That number keeps going up. Plus more protests, uh, this time at Melbourne's Shrine of Remembrance. Hundreds gathered at the War Memorial to protest mandatory vaccines. They're also protesting the COVID-19 lockdown and the vaccine rollout across the construction industry. Yeah, you could hear that chant every day and it just keeps on going every day, this series of protests. Uh, Yesterday, 200 people were arrested and two police officers were injured. And the Construction, Forestry, Mining and Electrical Trades Union, or CFMEU, says the union rejects those who took part in the protests. And the Federal Veterans Affairs Minister, Andrew Gee, also condemned the protests. 
The protest at Melbourne Shrine of Remembrance was disgraceful and those who participated in it are to be condemned in the strongest possible terms. They should be ashamed of themselves. And Victorian police are bracing for more protests today mm. with Victoria Police Assistant Commissioner Ross Gunther warning protesters to stay at home. They'll be charged with being in here uh, for a, n- a number of reasons uh, and they'll certainly be receiving a $5,000 fine. So I'm hoping that will, uh, that will dissuade people from coming in. But more, I'd rather hope people would just make a good decision and say it's not the right thing to do. Yeah, fifth day of protest yesterday, so... I'm not that hopeful that people are going <laughs> to listen and stay at they, home. They are getting kind of slowly smaller since the Westgate and then yesterday. If they keep going at that sort of trajectory, they will yeah. sort of peter out, hopefully. But they just seem to, I don't know, I think some of the more sort of hardcore protesters are sticking around. And yesterday what I found really quite con- confronting was they were also chanting every day, every day. They were chanting lest we forget, as though they were battling for the country in the same way that Anzacs were. And I do remember the funeral when Yasmin Abdul-Majid dared to tweet, lest we forget, um, you know, and people couldn't understand that. And there was so much backlash. And here we have construction workers using the same phrase that is very much revered and to honour our soldiers past and present who've fallen. Yeah, well, the Anzacs were selfless and some people would argue these people are really selfish. Yeah. And the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, has met with US military officials at the Pentagon overnight. We thank you for standing with us to the end of our mission in Afghanistan and for the close and growing cooperation of our unbreakable alliance. That's the US Defence Secretary Lloyd Austin speaking to the Prime Minister. So these talks centred on the recently announced AUKUS alliance with Australia, the UK and the US. Yeah, so Morrison is there in the US. Um, He's at this Quad Leaders Summit at the White House, which is taking place tomorrow. Um, Yeah, AUKUS, it sort of um, sounds a bit like awkward, which is kind of what it is for the French, isn't it? Who who aren't (laughs) meeting with Scott Morrison in America. And there's been a major COVID outbreak at a Sydney hospital. So 24 patients and five staff members at Liverpool Hospital in in Sydney's West, which is one of those LGA areas of concern, they've tested positive over the last seven days. Yeah, so they're trying to work out um, the source of it. Uh, A nurse in ICU has tested positive uh, and those infected are fully vaccinated, which is a good thing. But this is the concern as we get more cases hitting our hospitals that it starts to cause outbreaks inside the hospitals. Mm. And all those workers that we're really relying on as this wave builds um, could be infected. And so this outbreak also comes at a time as tens of thousands of retired doctors, nurses and psychologists and even dentists have been asked to come back into the workforce to help bolster the pandemic front line. And and Tom, I'm not sure if you're aware, but um, just last week, my sister-in-law was waiting for a bed in ICU because she had COVID. Um, And so... We just know that once our frontline health workers are unable to do their jobs, it's not just them. Anybody they've come in contact with, entire wards are closed down. We already have a shortage. So this is, you know, a real concern. So if you need to be in ICU and you can't get in there, where do you wait? Uh, She was waiting in a COVID ward. Um, Like there's a separate COVID Mm. ward, but she needed to wait for a bed and a ventilator. Um, And so if ICU nurses get unwell, anybody they've come in contact with has to go in isolation. So it's it's such a problem and this is the exact scenario that we've been warned about over the past 18 months. Donald Trump suing his niece Mary and the New York Times. Um, the former president says the newspaper and his niece hatched an insidious plot to obtain his private records for a story on his tax history. 
Well, it's it's almost reassuring to hear that it's not just my family that has really nasty fallouts, but <laughs> unlike Trump, um, we don't seek damages of $100 million. Mm. Um, the lawsuit alleges the newspaper convinced Mary Trump to, and I quote, smuggle records out of her attorney's office and turn them over to the Times. It says she breached a confidentiality agreement she signed in 2001 in a legal battle over uh, Frederick Trump, Donald's father's will. Now, we actually interviewed Mary Trump on the briefing. Um, She wrote a whole book about him, talking about the family history and basically slamming his character. So I'm glad we're not getting tied up in that lawsuit. (laughs) Uh, And there's certainly no love lost between them. Uh, When we asked why 73 million Americans voted for Trump, Mm. this is what Mary said. It is impossible for me to understand why anybody sees anything to admire in this person. I've tried really hard uh, for the sake of, you know, fairness to try to think of something. And there's not one redeeming characteristic he has. Oh, it was such a fun fun interview. I wonder if they'll face off in court as part of this case. They're Um, definitely not going to be catching up for Christmas dinner. (laughs) All right, Antoinette, we'll catch you later. Belinda Russell's about to join us as we look at the Gabby Petito story. Gabby Petito never goes outside. So that is the voice of Gabby Petito. She's the 22-year-old American influencer who was found dead in a Wyoming national park on Sunday after going missing last month on a road trip with her 23-year-old fiancé, Brian Laundrie, who is now also missing. So I'm joined by Belinda Russell from Nine for this briefing as we explain the Gabby Petito-Brian Laundry road trip mystery, Belinda. Yeah, Tom, this story has, has really captured the world's attention mm. because there's been so much footage of the couple and it's been playing out in real time with the bombshell news yesterday that the body discovered on Sunday in the Wyoming National Park was Gabby Petito and that the manner of death was homicide. Uh, meanwhile, the hunt for Brian Laundry continues in Florida. So the story goes back to the start of July when Gabby and Brian packed up their van and set off on really the trip of a lifetime, travelling west across America. And with more than a million followers between them, mostly hers, the couple were sharing their adventures on Instagram and they also posted a big, beautiful video on YouTube, which is where this audio comes from. So we are right outside Capitol Reef right now in a uh, free dispersed camp spot. And we've been lucky so far at all the places we've stayed, but I'd say this is one of the best so far. Since we left New York, I've only set up my hammock once, (laughs) and now we're all the way in Utah, and luckily enough, I was able to set up my hammock in one of these trees. And we're kind of like in the desert. Yeah, they were camping in some of America's most spectacular national parks. The, The footage is just beautiful. But after two months, Brian returned home without Gabby and refused to talk to her family or the FBI about where she'd gone. And then Utah police released body cam footage of a visibly shaken Gabby after the couple were pulled over on August 12th. This is a bit of that. I'm trying to start a blog. So that footage clearly showed that things weren't all good with this couple. And now the case has left the world wondering, what happened to her? So to tell the whole story, we've got Walt Bateo. He's a reporter from WFLA-TV in Florida. Well, thanks for joining us. How was this trip supposed to play out? It was supposed to be this opportunity for this uh, couple to tour our national parks, uh, you know, places that the world has heard of. 
and record it with video and pictures. And it started in July, July 2nd. They left from the East Coast and they headed that way. And they were in a 2012 white van that now has become sort of famous around the world. We've all seen it. And it looked like it was going great. She was taking pictures and they were smiling together, a young couple seemingly in love taking the, this trip through one of the more unique parts of the world, really, with our, our national parks, the arches and uh, all the various natural landmarks, the Grand Tetons, which is where it sort of ended in a way. It was supposed to be an opportunity, I think, for her to develop a career, perhaps as a video blogger. And, uh, and she, she seemed to be doing that up until a certain point when it stopped. Yeah, and you can see the couple that they were in love and they were engaged and ready to be married. And this was supposed to be a a trip of a lifetime, Walt. But what kind of clues are there as to when things may have started to go wrong? I think the greatest clue we have is from August 12th. So that would be about six weeks into this, uh, this journey. We have the body camera video from Moab, Utah, about an hour's worth of video where we have seen now at that point the end of a fight between the couple. We see Gabby Petito in tears and we see scratches on Brian Laundrie's face. We see the police officers consoling the couple and they decide at that point to uh, allow Gabby to sleep in her van. It is her van, by the way. And they send Brian to a motel, um, a shelter, if you will, sort of a cooling off period. But now what we also find out after the fact is in the police report that in a um, about four and a half miles from where they were stopped, we have a, a couple of eyewitness accounts. And now we have a 911 uh, recording where eyewitnesses saw Brian strike Gabby and also saw him, quote, uh, grab her by the face and sort of push her against the van. We also know that during that time, Gabby told police she was afraid Brian was going to leave her in that area. So she sort of climbed through a window into the car and eyewitnesses saw that. That's August 12th and they have a cooling off period, but the journey continued. That though, I think August 12th was the first sign that we saw of tension between the couple or that maybe even anybody would have recognized tension between that couple. And then is the next part of the story him returning home to Florida without her? The next part of the story would be now that they they continue and around about a week later, they upload a video on YouTube that again shows this journey. And, and then we know that she had contact with her parents. I believe it was the 21st with the father and then the 25th with the mother. That's the last time somebody from her family actually talked to her and, and the mom talked to her and everything, I guess, seemed fine at that point. And then we learned from a search warrant, there was a text message on the 27th of August. And this would be the last time we actually heard theoretically from Gabby Petito, but in the text message, I'm going to paraphrase, she references uh, somebody named Stan. Stan is the name of her grandfather. And she says, can you talk to Stan? My calls are going straight to voicemail. The mom was sort of suspicious at that point because she didn't call her grandfather Stan. So she's suspicious on the 27th, but doesn't think a whole lot about it. So now we have this gap because on the 1st, Brian Laundrie arrives back in Florida, in Northport, Florida, and he arrives back there with the van 
but Gabby Petito is not with him. That's the 1st of September. So if we believe the mom that the 27th text message may have not been from Gabby, then there is a five-day window that we are sort of uh, mystified by right now. So Brian returns on the 1st of September without Gabby. Why did it take so long for her to be reported missing? We don't know. We don't have that answer. Um, The mom, I think, um, perhaps did not know that Brian was home on the 1st. On the 13th of September, which is last Monday, she held a news conference in Northport and said that she got a little scared when she didn't hear from her daughter for eight to nine days. Keep in mind, this is the middle of nowhere, if you will, of the United States. I mean, we hate to judge anybody at this point, right? But the other question would be that to Brian, if we could find him, was um, why didn't you call your future in-laws and say, Gabby's not with me? I think all the parents, they want those questions answered. Brian, where'd you leave her? And what happened? And he's obviously nowhere to be found, which brings us to the 21st of September. So what what happened with him once he got home? What did he do and how long did it take for them to realize he'd gone missing? Well, so so the, the parents uh, file a missing persons case on September 11th. Then the parents, they're from New York, which is about 18 hours from here by driving probably a three-hour flight. So they're in another part of our country. They file a missing persons report on the 11th. So now the Northport police are involved. On the 13th, they hold a tearful news conference where they're asking for help. Joe Petito steps up again on last Thursday with police, again, asking for Brian to come forward, pleading with Brian to come forward. Let us know what you know. On that news conference last Thursday, the chief of police in Northport during the news conference was asked twice, do you know where Brian is? He answered very succinctly, very directly, yes. So he knows where Brian is. Following day, last Friday, police end up at the home in Northport, the parents' home, where we thought Brian was. And now it turns out the parents say, we haven't seen Brian since last Tuesday. And that he liked to go hiking in a huge nature preserve known as uh, Carlton Reserve. It's a 25,000 acre preserve very secluded on the coast of Florida near a city called Venice. That was searched for two days over the weekend. They didn't find anyone. But then on Monday, the FBI executes a search warrant of the laundry's house. So we don't know exactly what they were looking for, but they were there for most of the day yesterday. And then today, the active search for laundry continued in Carlton Reserve, which is a short drive from his house. And he's been there possibly although hard to believe, I think, since last Tuesday. Or he's not there anymore or something's happened to him. So, well, the big news of the last 24 hours is that the remains have been confirmed to be Gabby Petito's and that the coroner has said the manner of death is homicide. What did you make of that massive breaking news? That was a surprise that the FBI now considers this a homicide. The cause of death we do not have yet, Brian Laundrie is still um, is still out there somewhere. The suspect in a homicide at some point, as the autopsy results show, manner of death homicide, cause of death we don't have yet. So how will this change the search for him? Well, it, it, could, it could add resources to it. But, you know, keep in mind, when we say person of interest, it does mean it's very close 
uh, to suspect. Um, it just means they don't quite have enough evidence to call someone a suspect, but it does mean that police are, you know, think that somebody could be involved in a criminal act. It's going to make the search much more intense. There is going to be more law enforcement involved, I believe, because now what we have theoretically, if he's a murder suspect, is you have someone out there who could be considered dangerous and could be considered desperate. So it changes the intensity of the search, we believe. So given this new information in the last 24 hours that it's a suspected homicide, what now is your leading theory as to what happened here? What's your opinion as to what happened? I hate to give my opinion, but I do still think what we have just from what we've seen with the evidence is a domestic dispute. We saw the beginning of it. We saw the results of one particular fight on August 12th, a back and forth between this young couple who'd been in a car and living in a, in a small van together for at that point, about five or six weeks driving across the country you know, it all looks beautiful when you take snapshots of it, but that's hard. That's pressure on a relationship. And somewhere in uh, Utah and Wyoming, it went terribly wrong. And uh, now we have a homicide investigation. You've got to think about Gabby's family as well. I mean, now there is the body, there's the confirmation that it, it's it's Gabby's. I guess in some way there's that closure, but there are still so many unanswered questions. So what's next? You know, obviously this search for Brian continues, uh, but what can police and, and what avenues can they take? Well, I think at this point, that crime scene becomes extremely important mm-hmm. to gather evidence. Uh, the, the car could be part of the crime scene, the van, which is in police custody. Uh, just last week, they executed a search warrant to look inside the van. I'm sure that they would look for forensic evidence in the van, whether it could be something even such as blood, hair follicles, that type of thing. And they also executed a search warrant on an external hard drive that was found in the van. Perhaps there's uh, writings in that from Brian or pictures that we haven't seen yet. Cutting room floor pictures, perhaps, who knows what could be on that. So I think it's gathering that evidence. But again, the most important thing is to, at this point, find Brian, the person of interest at this point, but perhaps soon to be a suspect. That was Walt Pateo, reporter from WFLA-TV in Florida, and now the world watches on and waits to see if they find Brian and if he's still alive. Tomorrow on The Briefing, COVID divorces. Listener.